Hello and welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast. We're the Rethink Energy team. We're going to talk about the technology behind the energy news this week. I'm the editor, Peter White. And I've got with me solar analyst, Andrew Fontenar. Hello. Oh, I thought I had him. Uh, and hydrogen analyst, Bogdan uh, Avramuta. Hello. EV analyst, uh, Connor Watts. Hello. And we have our production manager, Simon Thompson. Good morning. All the discussion here is built around stories we published last night in our free weekly uh, issue. If you want to sign up for that issue, go to www.rethinkresearch.biz. You click on energy and you'll be reading it. And if you register, uh, we'll email it to you. Um, The part of our website that is not free is the uh, forecast and data. We run forecasts to 2050 for most energy technologies and that's the bit you pay for on this week's podcast we're going to discuss a scandinavian plan to build a a giga class hydrogen project in both the north and the baltic seas we're going to hear how china last year exported over 100 gigawatts of solar panels and it made even more than that in january it kind of took a step up in january And we'll look at the huge mining opportunity that Australia has to supply battery raw materials to America, to Europe, and to virtually everywhere. Uh, Finally, Simon's going to ask us a few questions on one or two of the short items. Uh, First, let's go to Bogdan to talk about this hydrogen hub planned by Swedish and Finland businesses. Yeah, so... um... Green hydrogen production in the Northern Baltic Seas is uh, picking up with two feasibility studies. One of them is in the Baltic Seas and it's coming from um, OX2 and the Finnish Bank of um, Åland uh, for a three gigawatt electrolysis plant followed by five gigawatts of um, offshore wind projects that are um, already under development uh, by OX2. And then the other one is um, <clears throat> is related to an upcoming extension to the Dodger Bank wind farm, which is off the east coast of the UK. Um, and that amounts to 1.3 gigawatts of um, additional offshore wind, which will potentially power a um, green hydrogen production plant, which if constructed, will be the largest green hydrogen production plant in the UK. Um, so lots of talk about hydrogen projects in the North and Baltic Seas. Uh, we always believe that green hydrogen production will will um, find a find a home, so to say, in uh, the in those regions, the North and, and Baltic Seas, because of of the high wind speeds and the potential yeah, for mean, um, renewable energy. Been a long time coming. We've been hearing about these for three or four years. Mm. We do need to um, get some. You know, you said these are feasibility studies. So does this mean money yeah. is not, not changing hands yet? Not yet, no. They're, um, they're looking at checking right, whether, whether this is um, feasible. I mean, I don't, I don't see, you know, those feasibility studies. I think it's just how those, these processes work, right? You got to put everything on paper and, and draw a line, draw a conclusion before all the money gets invested. So um, I think it's just a... Uh, the step that they need to take before they move on with uh, the development of such projects. Okay. It is a perfect situation to, uh, you know, the, the high wind speeds are great in that area. Mm. Um, you, you know, uh, OX2 has been producing um, um, uh, uh, wind 
projects uh, and uh, growing and growing over the past three or four years. Uh, it looks like only knows what it's doing. Um, we, uh, you know, so this sort of thing should happen. It, re- but it does rely on whether or not ammonia or methanol or um, hydrogen will be used to power things in the North Sea. Uh, so, for instance, if it's going to be used for shipping. It was interesting. I was going to say it was interesting what what you were saying uh, just there about money changing hands, and we've had a, a a spell of these huge hydrogen deals in Rethink Energy. We've been reporting this over the last six months. I'd just love to know if money has changed hands in any of those deals. You know, from, from all over the world, we've been talking about the, the appeal for um, people for for businesses like this is. I mean, they are old school energy producers. They like a big project. Um, in the sea, um, the big o- the oil companies probably have more experience at building platforms at sea than any other uh, company, and they certainly have the money. But they don't seem to be attracted to these big projects. But but the um, but the uh, engineering companies that have helped the oil companies. Um, you know, love love a North Sea project. It's not a very nice environment to work in. You've got to have experience in in working in working there, um, and you you should. Um, and, and they want to continue large projects. The, the thing is, in the long term, most revolutions in technology come by making one thing the same and making lots of them, lots of it. You know, if you go back to the Ford Model T car. Um, when when um, when that became a production line, uh, and it was the first gigafactory, um, you ha- ended up with the uh, the internal combustion engine taking off, and that was the precursor to the entire bloody oil industry. So um, you know the the um, just to have massive projects and make them the centre of everything is is still tempting to these large uh, EPC companies. Um, I, I, I suspect um, that um, whatever happens, the um, the OX2 will produce lots more um, wind power from from uh, the North Sea and from the Baltic. Whether it's used to make hydrogen is down to whether whether everybody everybody else comes together in the same in the same equation. Uh, and Simon, you're right. Do do people um, you know have all these projects spent money yet? You know, we, we we hear about that lovely one in Australia, Sun Cable, two billionaires arguing over the technical solution. And um, and you, you go, well, a lot of money has been spent, but it probably there's probably only 100 employees working on the project, uh, 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 you know, now. And so that salary bill is not the main expenditure um, and either one of them could afford it. So I, I, I think we should almost go back from all the projects announced in the last three years on hydrogen and just say you know where have they actually built an electrolyzer and where you know where how much have they built and when is it when is that hydrogen going to come on stream because none of it's there yet uh, bogdan i mean you you were reading numbers on um on the costs of uh of green hydrogen at the moment i mean it, it's it's not come down yet because there isn't any volume yeah, I think that um, I think this is a this is an interesting topic of conversation because obviously, like Simon said, lots of money has been promised or talked about 
uh, but we haven't really seen that much um, level, that high high level of of uh, building and and actual cooling hydrogen production. Um, and this is, I think, why a lot of people um, talked about 2023 being the year that green hydrogen takes off. Um, so I think we expect a lot of a lot of these projects to start coming online this year. Yeah. Yeah, it'll start taking off and start taking off again in 2024 and start taking off again in 2025 because yeah. each time, each year it will double. Um, yeah. If you want to know more about hydrogen, we have an energy question time devoted to hydrogen. Uh, later today, you can sign up to it at, um, uh, at rethinkresearch.biz. Um, you go to energy, you click webinars. And in fact, if, um, uh, if you arrive at the... Uh, uh, the website at all it, it asks you to sign up for the energy question time we'll be doing that at three o'clock this afternoon we'll talk more hydrogen then Edris, um, china it just i mean it's just the number you know ex the export of 150 plus gigawatts of solar panels in 2022 and that's that's without the um that's just without the ones it used itself yeah yeah i mean it's one of those I, I'm always tempted to say, oh, I don't know what to believe. I, I can hardly believe it, but that sounds a bit weak to put on the page because <laughs> at the end of the day, you have to accept these numbers because they're, they're real. I mean, uh, a lot of this article... Um, so I, I start out by saying, yeah, China exported 155 gigawatts in, in 22, um, which is up from 88 gigawatts the previous year. So that's almost... Well, it's, it's not that close to doubling, but it's getting there, you know. Um, Europe imported 86.6 gigawatts and, and here's here's a question that i will keep returning to until i've satisfied myself about it which is what is the delay between the module supply or manufacturing or purchase and then those same sort of figures showing up in the installations because europe inst uh, imported 40.9 gigawatts in 2021 which is pretty close to the amount it installed in 2022 so i, I kind of get the impression that you can then say, well, if it imported 86.6 gigawatts in 22, that means it'll install about 80 or 90 gigawatts this year. Um, I think you've answered your own nagging question. I think you're absolutely right. That's that's the rule of thumb, uh, and I think you should apply it. And that means that Europe will install 86.6 gigawatts of solar uh, in 2023. Hmm. So, so, I mean, you can... And and then someone I posted about the polysilicon price going up again this week, which it isn't supposed to be. It's supposed to be falling dramatically throughout this year because of all the new production production capacity. So I said, oh, by the way, it's gone up back up to thirty five dollars per kilogram. I put that on LinkedIn. And someone emailed me, and I said, why? And I thought, well, I guess I actually have to answer that question, don't I? Instead of just saying, oh, it's volatility, and you can make various little excuses, but what it comes down to is that people are still willing to buy it. If the price is high, uh, $35 is six times the production cost. So that means that the supply is below demand. So the Yeah, supply... it's supply and demand driven, no question. It's absolutely hmm. supply and demand driven, yeah. Hmm. I mean, part of it is there's some general inflation. So $35 isn't what it used to be, and... Also, there's a special inflation in the energy sector and there's incentives in the rooftop sector. So people can definitely shoulder higher um, module costs. So why wouldn't you charge more if you can? But at the same time, you can't charge more if there's overcapacity of polysilicon because then people just buy from other makers. So 
So you the, you've got to picture uh, the whole industry and go work backwards. You know, <laughs> the humble developers looking for opportunities, they come across more opportunities um, as the prices of solar panels uh, are lower. Uh, even if they go up temporarily, as the as the cost of solar panels lowers over time, um, they find more opportunities that are fundable. Um, you don't buy the solar panels. You don't order them until you've got final investment decision. You don't. Uh, distributors don't order them until they've got lots of inquiries. Um, mm. You know, they, they it, it is a a supply chain which takes a year to install. Um, even though most most projects uh, physically take about three months, so um, you know the the, the answer you would think is that China can feel um, the demand um, in 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 firm orders and in uh, and information requests for the following year and the year after. So I think I think that that definitely tells you that it's. I mean, we've forecast. Colossal increase in, in solar panels. This is just confirmation that it's even more colossal than we forecast, and our forecast is the highest of any out there. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. In December, it was a hundred thousand tons of supply, which is enough to make um, up to forty gigawatts. And in January, it's a bit higher. But I was still expecting it to fall in January without a significant increase in supply, just because Q1 used to be a, a slow quarter and because people would rush things in Q4 um, and, and so Q4 would be more intense. But if the price is still high at 110,000 tens of total global supply, that suggests that monthly, and, and that's 110,000 tons in January. So the monthly supply is 45 gigawatts when you add in a bit of first solar and if it only takes 2.5 grams per watt now, which I think it does. So that annualizes to 540 gigawatts. And this is why I was questioning, is it really just one Is it one year from supply to final installation? Because surely we're not going to see 540 gigawatts installed in 2024, uh, or are we? I mean... Okay, but you have to be aware here. I go back constantly to the manufacture of televisions as an example, you know, and people build... Uh, used to build factories twice as big to, that would make um, televisions that were a bit larger and that would would make you know LCD panels uh, that would um, uh, double the size of the market and then it, it, then the market doubled and the price came down thirty seven percent per annum and that went on for two or three generations and then it's hit a wall because there was oversupply so you're absolutely right. You know, yeah, make hay while the sun shines, make profit while you can make polysilicon while there's a surge in demand. But at some stage, the percentage increase is is smaller. Uh, and, and what happens is you get to the stage where there aren't enough solar engineers on the planet to install anymore, and they're installing at maximum speed. Um, and then, yes, it takes a while to, to train some more but uh, and fund even more projects. But uh, as a percentage of what's installed, it slows down. And then you'll have an oversupply. You're absolutely right. You have an oversupply and you'll have a crash in the price of polysilicon. So the key to all of this is the price of polysilicon. You have to keep your eye on it and watch um, variations like that. I mean, you've you got to remember that America installed last quarter um, of last year less than it's installed for four years. 
And that was a, a series of delays, you know, whether it's tariffs, whether it was that investigation by the Commerce Department, whether it was the fact that the Inflation Reduction Act meant they wanted to reassess all their current um, investment decisions. Yes, delays that, that weren't necessarily that detrimental because it means there's going to be another surge coming from America. And this is an anticipation as much, you know, as much as everyone said these solar panels have to be made in America um, to be used in America to get Inflation Reduction Act money. Well, China doesn't care. They're just going to make them, you know, and if, if everybody sends their panels to America, then there'll be a shortage somewhere else and China will find mm -hmm. it such as South Korea, which still has some manufacturing capacity. I think they actually do. They buy from China for their own projects, and I think they sell their uh, outputs to the US. <laughs> oh. Well, this is going to be happening in, in, in Europe. We're going to say, no, we don't, we don't buy Chinese panels, and we'll buy 80 or 90 gigawatts of Chinese panels, and we'll make 10 gigawatts of our own. We'll sell them all in America. <laughs> There's a that's, slightly flippant comment that... I, I forbore from write, putting into writing, but um, there's in, in the orders section this week, we have a 500 megawatt solar portfolio that's being built in Republika Srpska. And I, I, I forbore from saying, oh, I'm not, that's probably not even a real country. It probably doesn't even exist. Um, but, you know, it's, it's got 1.3 million population. I don't think the weather is, it's not actually that bad. It's quite sunny and it's probably quite sunny down there. And it's still got 500 megawatts being built in one project. That's crazy. Yeah. That's more than yeah. that's more than the UK built in 2020, in 2020, I think. Yeah, but you've got to just be praise this. Somebody somewhere is making the right decision. Before they even have 100% electricity in some countries, they're saying, yes, but all of our new electricity is going to be solar. Uh, and this is starting to happen. And you, know, you can't have the world's press banging on about climate change day in day out without it slowly sinking in um and it is starting to sink in but yeah, that i think we'll probably i just wanted to add one last thing in, in in response to what you said about how they can just install more and more solar until they run into uh workforce issues um i really there was a, we've got a little comment in in our orders section that i put in about this company i think it's called 4b or 5b and they apparently are building out in the northwestern Australia, the mining region. They're, they're deploying modules that are on prefabricated mounts, uh, prefabricated concrete mounts. And obviously out in the Pilbara mining region, you don't have much workforce. It's incredibly remote. So maybe that sort of thing will be the solution, at least in the utility scale segment. Well, while you're talking about Pilbara and mining, that is a great segue to our last story this week. We're looking at uh, all, all that happened is Connor wrote up uh, a consultation on uh, national battery strategy for Australia. But it's something that we, we're seeing. I mean, Australia is going to definitely be a, a mega energy power. Um, we, we pointed at it when, when we uh, produced our uh, recent report on uh, uh, annual primary electricity, uh, which is um, a, a massive report, which you know, we're really proud of. Um, but that Australia is going to become an energy superpower. If it ends up making the world's batteries as well, it's going to become a battery superpower. Whether whether they 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 process the raw materials on in their country or just export them, um, but that seems to be what's happening, and that that seems to be what they're planning, and they've got all the right ingredients. Connor, 
Yes, so Australia very much already has the raw material extraction part of the battery manufacturing process pretty much down. They are the main source in the world for lithium. I think in their consultation for the raw materials strategy, they were fourth in world reserves of every relevant mineral except for graphite, where they were eighth. So they might need to import a bit of that, but in everything else, they have a serious competitive advantage. Australia also has the advantage of just being geopolitically amicable with major export markets. It has a free trade agreement with the US. It's on good terms with China. It's reasonably local to well, China. It's not on good terms with China. Well, there good there words spoken between the two last year, but I think they've patched it up. Comparably good terms. They're a common interest. A country like maybe Canada, who recently kicked out a bunch of Chinese uh, companies from some mining projects. So they at least haven't done that, to my knowledge. And so that puts them in slightly better stead. But what this is about is that it effectively is attempting to unify the state's response. So the main states that I'm mostly seeing announcements for, Queensland and Victoria, that are putting a lot into uh, renewable energy projects and mining projects. I see the occasional thing from New South Wales as well. Andres, you might be able to contribute a bit more to that. But It is like walking around a sweet shop with your dad's credit card in, in Australia. <laughs> you've got... You, you, you've got so many opportunities. You have absolutely <laughs> and, perfect resources. Yeah. You know, and the investors, any investors listening to this call, if if we can in some way push you towards Australia, um, that you know, by all means, just send us a thank you uh, by subscribing to our <laughs> services. <laughs> I think the last time the English pushed people towards Australia didn't end too well. I don't know if that's a good idea. What's that? But push them where? Towards Australia. Oh, well, I see. Yeah. <laughs> right. That was like the convicts, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Um, so what I mean, the, the ridiculous thing is it can end up um, supplying a lot of battery materials um, and it's on good enough terms with Europe to do that for Europe and from the same mines, supply them into America um, and, and perhaps even build some of the... Um, uh, factories for um, refining the materials on its own land and still not and still qualify for the Inflation Reduction Act and still qualify for Europe's version of the Inflation Reduction Act when it comes along. So uh, as well as exporting to China and playing them all off against one another on price. So it is in, a, in quite a unique position. It's just a small matter of having to travel halfway around the world to most of those markets. Yeah, but on the plus side, at least, it has the potential for massive massive cheap renewable energy supply so it can compete heavily in that regard it's yeah. already competing on a no tariff basis with a vast majority of its export markets and it already has the effectively world-leading expertise in the raw material extraction part of it so i imagine what will happen is companies will partner with australian uh, companies for the refining of raw materials even if Australia only goes up to producing active cathode materials and anode materials, that's still more than it currently does. Because currently, it's you take it out the ground, you put it on a boat, you send it to China, and you're done with it. There's no value being added there. So what Australia needs to focus on is supporting more mining projects, because otherwise you're not... Well, the existing ones will be worth more, but you still draw investment in other countries that are concerned about that sort of thing. And invest heavily in yeah, the refining uh, and the manufacturing side of things because that's what does. And, and also, I mean, we, we've we've got a report that you've written, Connor, that's coming out on raw materials in about a month. Um, and although 
it can reassure us that we're not the world's not going to run out of raw materials to supply batteries for cars and for battery uh, energy um, storage. But it's still going to be uh, a bit of a rat, global rat race. So it's going to be there will be periods of uh, of low um, uh, of low supply, which create which will create demand pricing. Um, but the uh, but that's it is nice to to know that if anybody needs to know about that, come on to the website. Um, I think we're in any day now. We'll have a coming soon button. You can uh, register your interest in a raw materials report. Um, and if and, and also it's it's detailed in quite a large number in uh, annual primary electricity report, which is already on the website and available to buy, which does show. Uh, Australia coming to be a, an energy superpower, perhaps not the size of Saudi Arabia is, i.e., you know, given it's so small that it, it generates so much money from oil. But that's the type of um, transition we're, we're seeing in uh, the APE report. Uh, Saudi Arabia, if this was a football match, Saudi Arabia will nil, Australia six. Um, you know, in terms of going forward. Uh, by 2030, um, the oil won't run out, but it might lose value significantly. It will. That's that's a forecast in that report. Uh, Simon, let's um, let's go to the the minor articles. Can I just add a tiny that... thing about Saudi Arabia? Actually, go on, they go on, finally yeah. imported a grand total of 1.2 gigawatts of solar in 2022, God, but they were beaten out by the UAE and Pakistan. <laughs> And so on. Yeah. So it's just—it's a pathetic—it's a pathetic showing, and it's very late. And, and also, they won't—they won't install it, or they'll sell it off to, to the surrounding countries. I mean, they, they make a promise every year: we're going to build six gigawatts of solar panels, and then they withdraw the promise, and it doesn't happen. This is going going on five, six years. So um, they go, oh yeah, but we've got the oil. Oh yeah, and that's—I mean, that's the way the world works. Well, nothing's ever going to happen to the oil, is it? No. And they convince themselves they're right, and they don't do anything about the future. Um, the only exception to this rule is um, is Norway, which um, which uh, took all of its oil uh, revenues and turned it into a sovereign wealth fund, which has made the country uh, rich enough to afford all the uh, raw materials for renewables, which will end up exporting energy to Germany. Um, the the um, most people just say. No, no, it's going to last forever. I'm sure nothing's going to change. And Saudi Arabia will be guilty of that. And, and they'll still won't have installed more than one gigawatt of uh, solar panels by the time the oil industry is bust. Simon. Yeah, a couple of interesting battery technology snippets in this week's edition. And um, I particularly, I was reading about the researchers at the Argonne National Labs, US researchers, uh, with a demonstration of the solid state lithium air battery now, isn't the solid state battery isn't that the kind of the holy grail of um uh, of, of lithium ion batteries it's, um, it certainly is i mean the 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 transition in terms of energy density that's going to come with first generation solid state is um is massively significant um you look at the um the 4680 battery, uh, cylindrical battery out of Tesla, and you're looking at um, uh, a density of, I think, uh, from memory, 260 or 280 watt hours per kilogram. And 
we're looking at theoretical limits being uh, of lithium-ion being above 600. I think the, the article you're is. talking about... Yeah, that's what it says. It's actually above that. It's, it's, mm. it's up at 685, and that's um, three universities, not just the Oregon National Labs, Illinois Institute of Technology, University of Illinois, Chicago. Um, so I think lithium air is one of those uh, those problem technologies what's wrong with it well you know if you use if one of your um, uh, electrodes is air um, then it's open to the air and your electrolyte can evaporate um, all sorts of things can happen and uh, and sometimes you'll go well what's the problem with this oh it, it starts to fall apart after 1000 recharges well 1000 is quite a high number uh, with that kind of energy density um, lithium ion is still still more or less cited as um, 3000 so you know if if it lasts a third of the length of time costs a lot less and gives you double the energy density you know, will it have a, a, a an economic basis for uh, being created in in gigafactories yeah i think so um if it can get that 1000 up to 2000 it might wipe out lithium ion <laughs> but um i think any solid state battery that um and the whole beauty about this is 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 all parts of it are solid so there is no uh, problems with a liquid and electrolyte. Um, the, there's no problems with anything like thermal runaway. Um, and, and so we, um, you know, we, we haven't made this into a cell yet. This is a theoretical possibility out of a lab. Um, what's the time frame? We've seen QuantumScape. It's taken five years over getting its technology out of labs into a gigafactory. And that will come not ne not this year, but next. So that that's still a year and a half away. Um, this may be three to four years away. Um, if they can improve on the number of recharges um, and and keep it, you know, and, and there are no other problems on the horizon, and economically it's cheaper, it's gonna yeah. But it will not arrive uh, in the marketplace inside five years. Uh, that's the only unfortunate thing. But all of this is coming. You know, that's the thing about it. Battery uh, density is going to double and possibly double again. Um, what this probably means with that kind of density is you've got um, you've got a, a, a range of about a thousand miles on an existing car design. And you know we were talking about you know how many how long did it take you to do a thousand miles a month? You know if you only had to refill your battery once a month, wow. <laughs> that's that's going to be too much and what what that leads to and Connor and I have talked about this a lot is so you put half as much battery in a car and you have a range of 500 but but and then you charge less for the car because you put half as much battery in it, there's there's lots of changes and they're all on the the, the midterm horizon of four to five years uh, so all the battery factories being built in America today will could all be obsolete in five years because a new technology may come and overtake it. Uh, they won't be obsolete, but they, they might be economically disadvantaged. This is a very dynamic, shifting landscape. Um, and announcements like this, I always look for, well, what's wrong with it? There must be something wrong with it. And in this case, in the past, the number of recharges tends to be uh, the issue um, or, or some aspects of, uh, of the electrolyte. But um, this is a composite polymer electrolyte. Um, I'm not even going to say that formula. 
<laughs> I'm reading in the piece. Um, you know, it's, uh, battery scientists out there will, will know about this already, and but this is definitely a step forward. Yeah, and they're gonna, and they're going to be lots of them, and you can't predict which one's going to win. And the, and the one that wins may not be lithium, maybe sodium. Okay, any anything else? Well, we we don't often. Uh, well, everybody, go on. I was going to say, we're, uh, uh, Goldman Sachs is set to invest $1 billion into European production of biomethane. We, we don't often write about bi biomethane. Is it is that a significant investment, or should we read anything into it? I mean, I wrote, sorry, I wrote that. Um, I think, you know, biofuels in general, it's a, um, I mean, we don't believe in the biofuels industry as a whole especially long term there's a there's a shorter market for for such things um is one billion investment a significant amount of money for this particular market uh, hard to hard to tell i mean one billion is a lot of money is it going to make a, a big dent um hard to say to be honest it, it only depends on on if there's going to be demand for it we believe there might be a bit bit of demand for biofuels in the short term so they might get their money back, maybe make a profit, but I think they, they're probably going to look at getting out of it sooner rather than later. Is, when when we, we look to um, reasons for investment, I mean, in, in especially in biofuels, we, you know, it seems an obvious choice. Oh, look, this gives off less carbon dioxide um, and it was going to give it off anyway uh, and therefore... This is going to be a net negative to to um, to carbon emissions. Um, it seems a, a no-brainer. The problem is all, most of those decisions are in the hands of people who already sell oil and petroleum and uh, and uh, natural gas. And it's just there's there's a um, and I mean on your SAF report, uh, um, Bogdan, we, we we worked out that there's enough um, farm. Uh, farming uh, waste, farm waste in the world, to fuel the um, the aircraft industry, two two times over or three times over, and it's definitely there. And if everybody got on it tomorrow, SAF would be the the fuel of choice for aircraft. There is no question. If if they got on it quickly, then what we are faced with is, is complete apathy in the airline industry, in the oil industry. Um, in the refining industry, not interested in driving down the cost of SAF, not interested in making very much, not interested in any kind of biofuel, except to demonstrate that we should be able to stay as we are and keep business as usual. And until that attitude changes, um, biofuels are, are technically a good thing, which probably are not going to happen at economic scale soon enough and they'll be overtaken by events. And if that gives a bigger opportunity to hydrogen, so be it. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, yeah, I, I, I noticed that one as well. Uh, Goldman Sachs is normally uh, heavily associated with fossil fuel companies, um, and, and they are one of the, the worst stroke best investors in the fossil fuel industry, and they're most, the most persistent when they say they're not going to invest in fossil fuels, they continue to do so. Um, so, you know, when it's set to invest that much into European production, who with? You know, it's not said. 
Um, there'll be a plan, but um, it won't be public knowledge. Okay. Uh, if you want to read this story, all these stories and more, um, go to rethinkresearch.biz, click on energy, and you'll be straight into the weekly analysis section where you can read all of these stories for free. If you feel that we do a good job and that you'd like to look at our forecast and you'd like data for any project that you have in the world, um, then I can recommend you click on the forecast and data tab and everything in there is available for a single subscription price of $4,600 a year, uh, including every single report, um, you know, over 25 reports from the past year. Okay. Um, with that, we'll end this uh, podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy the issue. Thank you.